comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Podcast from Jordan from Jersey tonight, joined by Craig and Rich. How you guys doing? Hey, hey, doing great. And we're here to discuss the season one finale of Fear the Walking Dead, and look forward towards a season. What is it? Season six of the regular Walking Dead coming up or seven? Yeah, that's correct. Six. 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 Okay, I'm, I'm terrible with remembering what season we're in. All <laughs> I know is it's been a while. We're also going to briefly mention, I guess, just here that the first episode of the Fear the Walking Dead flight. 432 or whatever it was is out. We're not going to really talk about it yet because it's 90 seconds long and aside from saying, hey, we meet a kid and an Asian lady and a white dude, there's nothing to say yet. It, there's nothing wrong with it. The acting is a little bit heavy-handed as uh, Aaron's review will tell you, but uh, there's nothing to talk about yet, so we'll probably wait at least until next week when the first two episodes are out um, and they air during The Walking Dead proper, but probably even longer than that until we have you know, things to say happened or theorize about or hope for the death of characters or whatever. <laughs> There's just nothing to talk about yet. It's fine, but it's 90 seconds. So go check it out. It's on AMC's uh, website. It's on AMC's YouTube page, and it will be airing next week during The Walking Dead proper, but just nothing to talk about yet. But there is a lot to talk about with the Fear the Walking Dead season finale, which aired last night. It was uh, titled The Good Man. It was directed by Stefan Schwartz and written by Robert Kirkman and Dave Erickson. First aired on October 4th, 2015, and we don't have the numbers for it yet, but uh, it was a pretty cool finale. What'd you guys think? This was definitely not the show I've been watching for five weeks, six weeks, or whatever. This is what I've been kind of wanting from the show all along, and man, did we get it in spades. Uh, just 100% improvement over where the show seemed to be going. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I mean, it, this is this is what the show could have been, and it, now it is. I think they could have gotten to this point probably a little quicker than six episodes, They but they stretched it out. Very, very promising. I'll, I'll say that and reserve the rest of my thoughts for the for the rest of the show here. Right. Well, shall we get into the actual episode recap then, gentlemen? Let's do it. Yep. All right, so Fear 106, The Good Man, starts with an overhead shot of Los Santos. I'm sorry, I mean Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> but definitely from playing a lot of GTA Five, every time they used L.A. in this episode in particular, and in past episodes, but really this one. It was like, oh, I know exactly where that is. So if they need to get here, they need to turn right at that intersection. It's amazing. I guess it's more of a testament to 
Rockstar than it is to Fear the Walking Dead, but they really nailed L.A. for that city. That's beside the point, though. We get some really nice shots of L.A. Uh, as the music plays. We see fires in parts of the city. It's nighttime, and we pull back to reveal more and more of the city, but they really are just beautiful shots, lit mostly just by fire in the moon. Uh, we head over to the stadium, where the doors are still chained, and the zombies are, are banging against them, the doors are being pushed out, and then we cut to our theme. And surprisingly, not to commercial. I think every other episode has gone to commercial directly out of after theme, except this one. Uh, yeah, I noticed that too, and the only thing I could think is the cold open was very short. I think that's so, exactly what it was, yeah. So it, it just it allowed for it, and I'm kind of glad. I, I like it when a show has a cold opening, the theme, and then they go into the episode. Even if it's only a minute or two, it starts to suck you into what's going on, which this one definitely did. We're finally seeing the ramifications of the zombie apocalypse going on here. We're getting it in uh, you know, wide shots and everything through this cold open, and I just, man... I knew something told me right then. I'm like, okay, this episode is definitely going to have more of the tone that I'm looking for in the show than it's had in the past. So I was ready to go. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the episode itself seemed a bit longer. I mean, yeah, I believe the, it showed up on my DVR as an hour and 10 minutes, which I would estimate would bring it to around uh, 55, 56 minutes of actual running time, cutting out commercials. Uh, so not a 90-minute episode, but still, we got some extra extra meat on the bones there. Which is great that AMC gives them the flexibility to say, look, I've got a great episode here. I'm going to have to run a little bit longer than whatever it is, 48 minutes, whatever the standard episode is. Uh, 44. 44. Is the current technical it, <laughs> limitations yeah, of that. I mean, it's great that they allow them to do that. Now, that really, because that, that network is supporting the show so much, and that's saying, no, you have to keep it canned in. They're, they allowed them to have some more action, and... It certainly paid off this week. We got more out of this hour and 10 minutes than we ever did the first 90 minutes <laughs> in that first episode. That's a really good point. That's, a, I mean, so, and I think I said that early on. They could have probably shrunk that first episode down to something like this. This size would have been just right. Well, the guy that plays Travis, whose name has escaped me for some reason. Um, Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis said on the Talking Dead about how the first three episodes was, what, 48 hours or so? Well, Maybe to the characters, but it felt like a month to us because <laughs> it was a month and it was drug out. And that, if you wanted a 90 minute uh, episode to open with, it should have been all of that shrunk down. It could have been cut and edited and been far better than it was. Yeah. It is worth noting that AMC is generally pretty good about letting their shows run long if the episode calls for it. Happened with Breaking Bad and Mad Men and Better Call Saul and now this. And I think The Walking Dead as well on a few occasions. Normally we're talking about an hour and four minutes or an hour and two minutes rather than, you know, an hour and ten. But it, it, it is nice um, that networks, particularly cable networks, I, I tend to see more than broadcast, are willing to let that happen from time to time. Well, it's because, you know, America is getting away from appointment television. I mean, the networks are still trying to hang on to that for as long as they can, but they, they just have to admit at some point, appointment television is dead. People are going to watch when they want to watch, how they want to watch. And, I mean, that's just... We've, we've talked about it on this and many of our other shows many times, but, um, I mean, realistically... Why limit a show's length 
you know, if you need it to, to tell the story and you shot some great stuff, don't cut it out. Just make it a little bit longer. We're not waiting for the 10 o'clock news on AMC, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Plus, know, they get to sell an extra commercial break. So, I mean, it makes financial sense for them as well. You so. know, HBO does it as well. I mean, that last week tonight with John Oliver, sometimes his shows stick to the 30 minutes. Sometimes he has them and they go longer. You know, it, it's, it just makes more sense. And like you said, cable television, they have more of the the foresight to be able to do to to do this rather than network television who's like nope six o'clock we have news seven o'clock we have reruns eight o'clock we have prime time ten o'clock we have news period you know and i mean they have to have it that way but america doesn't want it that way anymore that's a really really good point as well and you know the old days used to be the shows were produced and then packaged for syndication so they'd be made on the network at a certain time and they had to be down to a certain time so it could be syndicated on a different network and they can right. sell the exact same amount of commercials for each each break and now i guess amc is figuring well if the show is syndicated which it'll probably be on their own network or it'll be through netflix or other streaming services out there itunes whatever have you and it's a different landscape for television now and i'm glad that they have that flexibility yeah didn't one of the Turner networks or something, um, didn't they syndicate The Walking Dead at one point and it just didn't get many people watching? But that was overseas though, wasn't it? Or was it? No, I thought it was here somewhere. Oh, was it? Okay, I didn't one, catch that. One of the, I don't know, one of those other networks, but it, I, I know it only went for a little while. Pretty much because everybody's watching it on Netflix. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They just uploaded the season five, by the way. Yeah, I meant uh, to mention that last week, but yes, yeah, season five is up. So if you need to catch up or if you want to just rewatch the finale of last year before the premiere this year, it's up there. It's available on at least Netflix in the United States. I don't know about the rest of the world. But well, that's a good and point. this week as well, AMC this entire week is running season one through five um, all week long leading up to uh, season six. Very cool. So the episode continues back at the uh, house. The family's packing to leave. Madison and Travis fill in the kids on what they're going to do. They're going back to the original plan. They're going to head east, but they're going to pick up Liza and Nick on the way. And Chris doubts the veracity of the plan. I still am not understanding the whole go east part, but... <laughs> well, if you go west, you drown. If you go north, there's hipsters. And if you go south, you don't speak the language, so... Oh, no, hipsters. If you go really north, it's cold, and the dead are less likely to be able to travel around. <laughs> also, the marauders will be more polite because Canada, so... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think her performance, again, was a little... I'm going to call it, like I said last time, a little flat... She had this little argument with Travis. Well, if this was Chris, you'd do anything to protect him. That was her line. It just felt like there was no emotion in that. I, mean, I know she's trying to play this cool, but she's playing it a little too cool here. I, I want to see some emotion from her. She's a mother. She's going after her son. The world's falling apart. The army is turning their back on them. Show me something. Give me something. So Daniel catches up with Madison and Travis. He tells them about the stadium, and he prepares to shoot Kilmer or Andy, because they finally say his name in the episode, so my notes finally started reflecting his actual name. So that, that's how it works on the show. If you, want, if you want me to remember your character's name, you have to actually say it at least once. So Andy says he can tell them exactly where to go inside the facility to save their family. Um, just don't kill him. Don't kill me. I'll tell you exactly where to go and what to do inside the facility to get them. And Travis says he'll, they'll bring him with them. Uh, as uh, insurance, basically. This is the point where I was kind of agreeing with Daniel. There was just something with the way the actor he played played that scene that, you know, 
I, I, I got the, the hint that he was going to be a double cross. Daniel clues Ophelia in on the plan, says he needs her help. Uh, she asks about Andy, and uh, Daniel tells her he's coming too. And then she confronts him about the lies he, he had told her about his past. Very powerful scene right there, I think, between Daniel and his daughter. Yeah, I like, I, I, we all like Daniel. There's no surprise there. I don't dislike Ophelia. I just wish there was anything to her character. Like, when you talked a couple weeks back, uh, Rich, about, you know, two-dimensional characters, she is, as far as I'm concerned, the the most two-dimensional of this main cast. She's fine. She's nice to look at. She seems to deliver her lines well. I know nothing about this character. You know, the only the only driving factor she had for the first, I guess she shows up at the end of episode one, or, or maybe beginning of episode two, but the only... You know, it's the end of episode two. So for five episodes, the only thing we know about her is she's willing to do whatever it takes to get medicine for her mom. And she feels sad when spoilers, her mom dies. That's, that's it. Yeah. I'd like to know anything else about this character. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I I don't dislike the character, but at the same time, the most emotional scene from her seemed to be when she was staring at the pile of ashes. I thought, I thought that the actress played that very well. Oh, that's, that was great. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that that, that was the first time where, you felt some emotion. I was kind of thinking up until that point that she's some sort of not, not psychopath, but that she was, what do you, what do you call those people? They just don't feel anything. Sociopath. Sociopath. Yes. I, I don't, I I don't know if that's in, technically true that they don't feel anything, but that would be the, that would be at least the lay yeah, understanding of, of sociopath. Right. Right. I mean, you know what I'm getting at. It just seemed like, like she just was uncaring and unfeeling, uh, and then a little bit of feeling woke up in her when she learned about her father, and then she went back to just being a cold fish, and then, you know, then with the pile of ashes, we saw it again. I, I get the feeling, because I get the intent of her character, so I, I, I didn't dislike her character, but I get the feeling that they've just kind of had her along as luggage for next season. I think she's going to be, at some point, a plot device of some type for next season. And that that's been her purpose was just to be there up until that point. Again, back to our earlier complaints about them not developing characters in a way that they should. But I, I think that that's where they're going with her. But do you feel it's the acting or the writing? I think, I think the acting has been fine from her. It's just, she's been literally given nothing to do until this episode. Uh, she, she stands there. She may be, agrees or disagrees with somebody and you know she wants to get medicine for her mom but there's been nothing else for her whatsoever i don't know what she did i don't know what she wanted to do i don't know anything about the character whatsoever except she's of el salvadoran descent and she loves her mom that that is literally the extent of what i know about this character and i'll agree with that i think her acting has been okay it hasn't been standing out as being bad in any sense of the of the word in fact, I even liked her few scenes she had with, with the corporal, uh, you know, trying to get the drugs from him. What was that last episode? I think, they, yeah, they haven't given her much to work with, so hopefully her character will flesh out, or perhaps she will be a a plot device, a, an interesting one to get Daniel tweaked next season. Who knows? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, she was that, that was her role tonight, or last night, was to be plot device of, you know, get injured and... <laughs> move the plot along and I, I don't want that to be all her character is because like like you said right. she's been delivering these lines just fine she seems to be a capable actor 
Give her something to do. Give her anything to do. Don't just make her a plot device. You know, you, you, the show is... A, I'm not, I, again, I don't love this show. Just like I don't love The Walking Dead. I like them a lot. They're, they're better than just having characters exist to be merely plot devices. It's fine to use your character as a plot device from time to time, but you've got to have something beyond that. And most yeah. of the other characters do. She's just the one exception. For me. Yeah, I think they're just going to build her up at the beginning of the next season and then she's going to disappear, get killed, in, injured again. Something's going to happen that's going to... I, I just feel like there's going to be something really cool with Daniel and, and uh, Strand. And I have a feeling that they're going to bond over trying to save Ophelia or something with Ophelia is, is where I think they're going with it. And again, they've just mismanaged what they've done with her character this first season she's just been kind of tagging along luggage and oh here let's let her attract the corporal let's let her lure him in and we're done with her for now oh let's let her cry over her grandma that's kind of what it was so is Griselda her grandmother or mother it's her mother oh it's her mother yeah I for some reason in the beginning I thought she was her grandmother and it's just because the age difference is so different it looks like so, so stark but I guess they just waited a long time to have kids well yeah they had to escape El Salvador True, but I mean, they could have had children in El Salvador. Might not have been the most uh, conducive environment, but I'm sure other people did. Uh, so anyway, that night they are piling into the vehicles. Uh, one of the neighbors sees them, but they don't clue the neighbor into what's going on about, you know, the military abandoning them and everyone probably going to die. And Ophelia says they deserve it for not coming to their aid when their families were taken, which, you know, say we've said she didn't have a lot to do, but I also like this scene from her. I, I like the... I don't think they're overplaying it, which is good, because AMC has a tendency to do this across all their shows, but the semi-Holocaust um, illusions of the military's treatment of these people, and the, you know, when they came for this group, I said nothing because I wasn't part of that group. I like how they're they're kind of building that in with this character, of, yeah. and just the military story in general. You know, they came for these people, and I didn't say anything because I wasn't one of those people, and then they came for these people. I didn't say anything. And then when finally they came for me, no one was left to speak up for me. That that whole idea. It's subtle enough for me. The thing that worried me with this scene was I was like, oh, God, either Madison or Travis. And I was thinking, Travis, they're going to try, they're, or there's going to be the whole argument of we need to save everybody. We need to get everybody out. And I'm glad they didn't go that way, but it would have been so well within Travis's character to have gone that route, and I'm just glad they didn't. Well, they got away with it by not having him in that conversation, so he <laughs> didn't even have to think about it, which which was smart. It's convenient. You know, she delivered that line really well, and I don't know if you guys noticed too when she left, uh, Madison left the house. There was those two lines on the wall, like the daddy's height and the mommy's height type of thing on on the wall. That was cute. Yeah. That was her way of saying goodbye to the yeah. house. She's not coming back to that house ever again. And that was her way of saying goodbye. And she did that also a little bit in the first episode when she was leaving her office. She gave it this little look in, like, I'm never going to see this office again. And I thought that was nice, the little touch in there, just that she knows that she's not coming back. Yeah, the height wall was a nice touch. I don't know exactly what you'd call that, but I I've done the same thing. There, there was a, a time when, we sold, when my grandmother passed away and we sold her house. I remember one of the last things me looking at before I left the house for the last time was the door jam that had all the grandkids' heights marked on it from the last 30 years. And it, so it was a nice cathartic moment for me watching the episode of being like, oh, crap, I've been literally exactly there you know, before. 
And it, it's weird that something like that is the thing that grabs your eye and your attention when you leave a place like that for the last time. Yeah, I agree. So we head over to the hospital. Um, Exner's on the radio asking for evac for the patients. Uh, she's told transport is on the way and, and they'll be they'll be heading to Edwards Air Force Base. Eliza tries to bargain for Christopher to come with them, but uh, her and Exner have this conversation of basically, look, you can bring your son, but then if you bring the son, you're going to want to bring the, the, his dad. And if you bring the dad, you're going to want to bring the dad's girlfriend. You know, kind of if you, if you give a mouse a, a cookie type idea. And Liza eventually bargains for just Chris and Travis. Everybody else gets left behind. And I like this scene. There's nothing cold-hearted, really, from Exner. She's, I mean, it is a little cold, but it's not out of unfeeling. It's just out of, look, this is what I can do for you. And you're going to want more, but I'm sorry. This is all I can do. I totally got where she was coming from. I mean, it, it, it's kind of cold and it's kind of sad, but it's... And I don't know if this are, is my pre-knowledge of this universe, but... I mean, it's just the smart play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exner had a line in the last episode, I'm trying to save 6,000 people or something. And so she's she's trying to look after the greater good, even if it means telling a little white lie to Liza right. to convince her to come by. Or, you know, she she's looking at the big picture. In this case, she's looking at that hospital ward full of, full of like, what, 20 people she's trying to save and evacuate. And she's thinking of the greater good, the, the needs of the many type of argument outweigh the needs of the few and right, I, I, I see where she's coming from I don't one. feel any duplicitous you know attitude from her at this point that she seems more thinking about the bigger picture what was the white lie she had told Liza well I don't think she's afraid to lie to Liza she I mean when she convinced Liza to come to the hospital and now at this point that she's there Liza said oh you promised me I can have Chris well now you can't so, but I, I don't think that was a lie so much as things are going belly up in a way we didn't expect them to go since I told you that. And so now it's no longer feasible. At least that's mm-hmm. how I read it. Well, she did. I, she didn't necessarily lie to her, but she kept things from her until absolutely necessary. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Lying by, by omission. Sure. Yeah. So Andy's going to ride with Travis on their way to the hospital. Andy asks Travis to kill him before Daniel comes back. Uh, Travis won't, but Andy still pleads with him. Take me out. Don't let Daniel do it because he'll do it in a terrible way, I'm sure. Ugh. And I was throwing the remote at the te- at the television at that point, ready to. I mean, you saw it happening. You saw what Travis was going to do. You knew he was going to let this guy go, and he did. And you just knew it was going to be trouble. And and well, we see what happens. But it's just it's. <laughs> they, I, I mean, I don't know. They, they were trying so hard to make Travis this pacifist, and it just seems so crazy. They're going to find his ex-wife. They're going to find his his stepson to be, if you will, and. They need this guy for information, but he feels so sympathetic for this guy. They're letting him go. I mean, it just, they're trying too hard. It worked for the plot, obviously, in this episode to a certain extent, but it just, they're trying too hard. Well, he's, I think he learned his lesson on being trusting in the good nature of people in this episode. And I noted that, like, in the other series, again, it took Rick two and a half seasons to get to this point. <laughs> it only took us six episodes to get, you can't trust anybody. Right, right, exactly. That's because this didn't have Frank Darabont to make it cinematic and drawn <laughs> out. Well, even Rick's story, which took way longer, didn't have Frank Darabont for the majority of it. True, very true. Uh, so everyone drives down the road out, out of the neighborhood, out of the DZ. They're driving past houses with people still in them. The families and friends, they are abandoning. This is where I was thinking, Travis, based off the scene earlier, Travis is going to see all these families in these windows and go, we got to save them all. 
I, well, I agree with you of, of that would fit with his character. I think it also fits that at this point he is actively going to save his family, stopping to save right. other people right. who aren't necessarily in immediate danger. Because again, even even we weren't clear on whether or not the military was going to kill them or just abandon them last week. Um, it's not his priority. <laughs> his priority is saving his family. Right. Well, it, he's five episodes of not always doing the the smart thing or making the right decision kind of set me up for that he might do that. I'm glad he didn't. Right, right. So they get to the gates, which are abandoned, and they leave. Um, they, they open up the gates and leave, but they leave the gate open. We never come back to that, but presumably, uh, if anyone dies in there, not by the military, but by walkers, it's their fault. That seemed a little cold. I mean, <laughs> they are their neighbors. Yes, they didn't help them out when the army came, but they could at least close the gate behind them. I mean, come on, guys. It's, that seemed a little bit leaving them exposed. All right, so we're now joined by Jim Dietz. How are you doing, Jim? I'm okay. Finally got my uh, my my little zombies to bed. So. <laughs> uh, before we continue on with the episode recap, just generally speaking, what did you think of the season one finale? I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, it had a lot of what I was hoping I would see since episode one, actually. So and there were a few things here and there that I didn't like about it, but for, overall, it was probably the best episode of the six. I think. I didn't really appreciate the character arc of Travis until like near the end of this episode. You know what I mean? Like yep. where, where there, where there, the 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 switch that kind of switches in him that kind of also switched in Rick when Rick shot Shane. You know that kind of thing. I, I kind of I, I don't know. Well, like, we'll get to it when we get to it. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> I I did enjoy this episode uh, more than than all the other five, probably. And I had a lot of the good like moral questions like with Andy the soldier and stuff that uh, that we kind of come to expect from the show. You know what I mean? Not. Not even so much the zombies as threat themselves, but the moral questions that the zombie apocalypse brings along in its wake. So after that scene with them leaving the gate open, we jump probably an hour or two forward, and we see Daniel walking up to the hospital facility, and we hear two grunts talking. There are no superiors left, according to them, which we pretty much knew. You know, the, the military, at least in L.A., is in a giant state of disarray. So they see Daniel, they threaten to shoot him, but he says, you probably should save your ammunition. And then the camera pulls back to reveal that he has led a bunch of walkers right to the front gates. First, it looks like 100, maybe 200. And the camera keeps pulling back to reveal over a thousand zombies. And I didn't put this together until later because I'm an idiot, but these are the walkers from the stadium. He went to the stadium, opened up the doors, and Pied Pipered them right to the gates (laughs) of the military facility. This was my favorite sequence of the whole episode. He's the Walker Whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> so we come back from commercial. Uh, Daniel runs into the parking lot where everyone else is ra- waiting, or I guess a parking garage, more technically. Um, he finds out Travis let Andy go, and, and Madison supported the decision, which surprised me. Uh, but Daniel obviously doesn't. Um, we learn that Chris and Alicia are going to stay behind. If anything happens, or if everyone isn't back in 30 minutes, it's their job to get in the car, drive to safety, you know, and they'll meet up later if they can. You had one job, Alicia. One job. <laughs> and and Chris can't drive either. So he's a, now he's a total dweeb in my in my book. I'm sorry, I can't drive. Well, what's the driving well, age he, in California? Well, yeah, because I mean, he's only 15. Is he? He just looks older. I just feel like he's like 18 or something, and that's that's why. Really? I, yeah. I'm pretty sure several times it's been mentioned on the show that he's either 14 or 15. Mm, all right. He he seems older than that to me, whether the actor is or not. I always it seems like he played a little older than that. You know, yeah. To me. Also, it's probably worth mentioning City Kid in California. Oftentimes, I mean, it's not maybe to the extent of like a New York kid from the Bronx or something, but a lot of times there's just no reason for them to drive. They actually have functioning uh, public transport systems and or public transit systems, and 
you know, everything's nobody, close nobody by. Nobody walks in L.A., man. <laughs> he was taking the bus in the first <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, he was on the bus. You're right about that. Yeah, the first one. I do have to agree with uh, with Chubb, though, that scene with Daniel leading, you know, his, like, Pied Piper group to the gates of uh, of, of the uh, the hospital facility was, was pretty awesome, right? I really dig Ruben Blades in this, uh, in oh, this yeah. role. He's, like, probably my favorite actor in the whole cast, uh, especially after this episode. Ruben is the man. uh, I just, all right, I was going to be quiet, but I'm I'm not going to be quiet now. How did he do it? I mean, you said an hour passed in between. He just opened the doors and just started walking the whole bunch. They just followed him all the way to the army base. Is that what happened? Well, I would assume they probably had them follow in the cars. Like, they probably got them out and then had the car. Like, we don't know exactly how far the stadium is from the... From the they hospital. had the zombies follow in the cars? No, no. They carpooled? They <laughs> probably the opened it up, got in the cars, and had the zombies follow them. They used no, the I HOV don't. lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right. All I'm going to say is this. That's an excellent, excellent walker control when these people really had very little exposure to walkers up to this point. So it's just... This is Daniel we're talking about. Uh, he was born a badass. <laughs> When he came out of the womb, he slapped the doctor, okay? So, yeah. <laughs> and took his knife. Perfectly perfectly within character. And I loved it. And it wasn't so much the enormity of that wide shot showing them all or any of that, which was extremely cool. It very much was so. But the reason this was my favorite scene is the way that he delivered that whole... You you you'll want to save your ammunition. Just that whole the look on his face, the smugness of it. I was just like, yeah. You tell them, Daniel. Uh, so we head inside the facility, back to the pens, and catch up with Victor Strand for the first time this episode. He's getting prepared to leave. He's straightening his tie. Kind of flashes a Gus Fring there, and he tells Nick not to draw unnecessary attention. Um, we kind of get the the implication that Victor might have been a realtor or involved with land sales of some type. Um, but that's just a brief aside. They they start to hear screaming and gunfire from outside. The lights start going out. Uh, Victor reads the situation well and says it's time to go, but he can't find the key. And then as quickly revealed, Nick lifted it off of him and he gives it back. And Victor is very impressed by Nick's uh, sleight of hand skills. Yeah. He had a cool line there, too. When, when Nick was pacing, he goes, all right, man, picture you're somewhere else with a needle in your arm. <laughs> that was just great. <laughs> Nick's like the junkie superhero. You know? <laughs> Heroin. Like, you know, wait, I sense I sense a shotgun in that house. <laughs> or, oh, I've lifted the key off this guy. You know, he's like the junkie superhero of the group. It's pretty funny. So, so rather than uh, spinach for Popeye, it's heroin for Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Although, is Popeye technically a superhero? Mm. I think he's a mutant. Look at his arms. <laughs> that's true. That's true. He is what he is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's exactly. all that he is. He's a philosopher that is what he is. I'm, I'm pretty sure he is. am what he am. But you're on yes, the right I stand track. corrected. He is, yeah, he am what I am. <laughs> so uh, we catch up with Exner and Liza. They see a helicopter hover, uh, the evac one they're waiting for. But it, it now they know the, hel- the compound is compromised, and evac knows it as well, so they can't really talk them into landing. So things are going bad quickly. Eliza watches Airwolf take off, and then I guess there's another helicopter coming in, the Chinook that 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 Doctor Exner's talking to to get her to land, and uh, I mean it's pretty good. And the CG wasn't bad either of those helicopters. I'm imagining their CG, and they look pretty pretty okay in my book. 
Uh, speaking um, of Airwolf, I know this is a strange aside, but I occasionally use uh, E-Rock 331's Meets Metal series as outro music for this show and other shows mm-hmm. because it's awesome. Uh, last week's episode he released was Airwolf Meets Metal. So if you are a normal human being and love the Airwolf theme because it is amazing, go check out Airwolf Meets Metal. I will check. I'm a huge I, Airwolf fan. I, I'll I'm writing that down. Oh, yes. Big Airwolf fan. Yep. Big Airwolf fan. So I have a question, and and I was never in the military, so this comes from pure ignorance, but that's why I'm bliss. But anyway, aren't evac choppers usually going into dangerous territory and trained to handle being in the middle of a combat zone or what have you? I mean, it seemed like, oh, well, we're getting reports it's not safe to come down there. Well, but isn't that what their job is? Or is there some protocol that the military follows to where they just give up hope? It's the zombie, apo- it's the zombie apocalypse protocol. is like, screw that. I ain't going down there. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably Cobalt. different different like levels of evac, too. There's going to be like regular evacs or yeah, rescue maybe, evac. Yeah. But I think it's also worth noting, and this is a little bit of a cheat, but only a little bit. We've already been told multiple times that all the superiors are dead, and we've seen that they're pretty much in disarray, so any lack of following the rules or breakdown of structure totally fits with the plot, at least in my True. mind. If they're not True. doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's because there's no one there to force them to do it. Yeah, and, and it didn't bug me or take me out of the scene or anything. It's just a thought that occurred to me at that moment. I'm like, isn't that their job to evac them from the danger? But okay. But yeah, what you say makes sense. Yeah, and, and they were watching, I don't know if I guess they could see it from that bird's eye view, but their fellow soldiers were getting taken out by this horde of of zombies, and they're going to land and just take off these weak and wounded civilians. So I guess they just said, you know what, we're out of here. We're not going to risk our lives for this, this bunch of weak and wounded people, which I'm surprised the helicopter was coming at all. I mean, I thought the whole Cobalt directive was to eliminate the weak and wounded humanely. Why are they wasting fuel in a... In a big Chinook helicopter to come and take these these wounded people out of there. That didn't really make sense to me. I was kind of thinking the chain of command would have broken down by that point to, to the point where they wouldn't even be able to coordinate like a chopper lift like that. You know what I mean? It's um, possible, yeah. I mean, because I mean, without the communi- lines of communication and, and the chain of command, I mean, it's, obvi- the, you know, it's obvious from the scene with the other two soldiers that you know, there is no more chain of command, you know, that they wouldn't have even organized such a thing. It probably would have been like Hey, I'm gonna get this chopper and go to friggin' Mexico and get the hell out of here, you know, or something. Right. Yeah. Which that's which that's um, expanded upon whenever those soldiers meet up with Alicia and Chris. Right. But then, who who was gonna be killed in Cobalt? Then I guess that that's my question. The the, the townspeople were left alone. The townspeople, and, and you know, I was still expecting as they drove away, just some gigantic explosion or something back where the people were. Well, I mean, it's worth noting, regardless of what the plan was for Cobalt, they didn't get to carry that out because the zombies overran the facility. Yes, that I I digested that part. I said, okay, yeah, whatever Cobalt was, it got thrown out the window. But again, who's the helicopter coming for then? It's like... Well, at least the doctors and nurses because they're the most important personnel there. Oh, okay. You know, no matter what, you want them to survive to, you know, help other people. Yeah, that's true. That's Mm. very true. 
so, you know, Exeter tries to reason with the pilots over the radio. You know, you still have time to land, but she doesn't get the answer she wants. So she tells the staff it's time to run. She tells Liza it's too late for the patients or to get Chris. Liza needs to run. And uh, once Liza leaves the room, Exeter starts shutting down the computers in the uh, the makeshift hospital just in silence. Kind of, I wouldn't say she's in shock, but she's kind of resigning herself to, well, this is it. This is the end. But I'm going to do my job and go down with the ship kind of to the end. Uh, so then we catch up with Chris and Alicia. Uh, they're waiting impatiently in the parking garage. They hear explosions outside, and then they see shadows coming around the corner in the, into the parking garage. And so they hide in the car or the, the SUV, I guess, technically. Good scene. Well-directed. It's good suspense right there. Just I like that scene. Yeah, it, I thought it was well done, too. Uh, so we catch up with Nick and Strand. Uh, they leave their cage, and they're they're walking past everyone else. They leave them all behind, with which Nick objects to, uh, but they don't really have time to argue about it, so they keep going. Uh, Strand tells them they're looking for Abigail to get them a ride out of here, but we don't know exactly what that is yet. Uh, we will know by the end of the episode. Uh, we catch back up with Nick and Alicia. They're continuing to hide, and I like the way the scene is shot because for you know the first half of it, you don't know whether it's the military or zombies. You can tell they are military, but are they alive or not? They're kind of, you only see them from the feet. They're walking slowly. It could be a walker. It could be a human, but it's the military and not zombies. They break the windows. They drag the kids out of the car. The grunts want the keys so they can get out of there, like you mentioned earlier. And Alicia does give them the keys, but they start to make some threatening advances toward her. And Chris attempts to fight them off and gets knocked out, which I'm sure made you all very happy. <laughs> no, I actually liked him in this scene. I, I, I totally got his motivation. Everything about it made sense, and I, I really, I, I, it endeared me to his character a little bit. I, I actually liked Chris in this episode. So we come back from commercial. We see the military fleeing as Daniel and crew sneak into the, to the hospital, uh, and Travis has the shotgun for some reason, as my notes mentioned. Now, granted, at that point, everyone seems to have some kind, kind of kind of weapon, but it is interesting to me that of all people, Travis is the one who got the shotgun. You know how I feel about guns. <laughs> Definitely part of the turning of his character, though. True, true. Uh, Liza heads outside looking for something. It's a little bit unclear at first, but we see the walkers versus the military. Um, it's starting to go bad very quickly. Uh, one of the grunts offers her a seat on a vehicle out of there, but she declines. Uh, the walkers get through the fence. We get a nice tail rotor kill from a helicopter of uh, a bitten military grunt, and Liza runs back to the building as thousands of walkers are incoming through the broken gates. Yes, yes, yes. That the soldier offing himself on the helicopter blade—that was very, yeah. very cool. I didn't expect. Did it, you take that as him purposefully killing himself there, yeah, or I just stumbling? Yeah. Into oh it? no, no, no. He offed himself. I couldn't tell. I mean, I thought he offed himself too, but then I don't know. I went back and and I, in the second viewing, it seemed like he was stunned and stumbling. I don't know. I could read it either way. I, I thought he tried to get in. They wouldn't let him in. He just—he was just bitten so bad. He was in so much pain. I think he just—that's it. He, and that makes he sense. He ran into the blade. I can buy it either way. It doesn't bother me. It's just I read it as more of him stumbling in pain than purposely doing it. Although I guess if you are looking for a surefire way to kill yourself instantly, that's a pretty effective one. So we catch up with Nick and Strand, who are sneaking through the building. Uh, we see a door lock behind them, and uh, they find a walker 
they, or they find multiple walkers, but specifically one eating dead grunts. Um, Strand doesn't care. He says they're slow. We cannot run them. He starts grabbing gear from some of the dead military guys around them. Um, we see that one of the grunts, the one being actively eaten right now, is the guy who we learned his name is Melvin, um, who was the one that Strand was trading with last episode. Uh, so Strand goes over, takes the cufflinks back, tells the dying man he can keep the watch, and Strand takes his gun, and apparently Melvin was his ride out of there, but that's not going to work anymore, so they run as more walkers break in and start approaching. Yeah, and I love how, uh, I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but Nick, when they first walked into that room, he was appalled at what he was seeing, he was scared, he actually jumped into Strand's arms almost, he curled into his arms, it was hilarious. He's a great actor. I mean, I don't know if that was written in the script or anything, but he's a really good actor, uh, Frank Delane. Which, we've talked about his heritage beforehand. It wasn't until Talking Dead when they showed a picture of his dad where I went, oh, that's who who Mr. Delane is. But yeah, his dad is Stannis Baratheon on uh, Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, okay. And they also showed, I forget who it was, but they showed uh, a character Nick had played in a previous thing. Oh, he was um he was Tom Riddle in Harry Potter. I was like, oh, of course, I can see that in his face. But I had never put those two and two together beforehand. Yeah, I didn't either until that. So, yeah. Uh, so the family, or the crew, I, I, I've struggled in my notes with what to call them, but generally the crew were the family, which includes... The, the Manawas, the Clarks, and the Salazars. Um, they find the, the fenced-in area cage room where Nick and Strand were. They call for Nick, Griselda, and Liza. They don't find them, but Madison and Travis save as many people from cages as they can before running after Daniel and Ophelia to find the rest of their group. But they do leave some people behind, still in cages. Which, do you think that was okay? Well, Morally or in terms of the narrative? Either way. I thought they were figuring that the people they just let out would let out more people and Eventually, oh, they all thought. get out. I mean, morally, I don't care. It's fiction. Uh, narratively, yeah. <laughs> narratively, I think it works absolutely. Yeah, because they're trying. They're still trying to find their family, and staying here and saving these people who they don't know is only going to increase the chances that they don't get to save their family. Yeah, and and they got the information they needed. So, uh, so Nick and Strand run back to the way they came, and they get to that door which locked behind them, and zombies are approaching. Uh, We see Eliza helping people back into the building, uh, still helping people to the very end. Uh, Strand kills as many walkers as he can with the gun he lifted off of Melvin. Um, Nick sees on the other side of the door his family headed toward them, uh, so he starts yelling to them through it to get their attention, but they can't get it open. Uh, Nick tells Madison, it's okay, leave me. You know, he tells her through the door. And just then they see Eliza running down the hallway, and she unlocks the door just in time, and they all run from the walkers. Very intense scene. Very well done. A few card swipes there. Took her a few card swipes to get that open. Well, if you've ever had to use one of those door systems before, that's not entirely surprising. (laughs) They're pretty bad. But yeah, I thought it was well set up. You know, we see her earlier in the episode use a card swipe to get through a door. Then later we see the door close, you know, lock behind them. And then, you know, the payoff of her opening it up. So it was all well set up. It could have been a little more subtle, probably. I thought the shot of the door locking behind them was a bit too obvious. But, you know, it is what it is. I think the writers expected the audience to feel like one of the main characters was going to go at that point. And mm-hmm. that's why I really thought, honestly, at that point, Nick was a goner. Uh, even though he's so central to the show, I thought they would do something that shocking. I, I, I mean, the way, and then it was the suspense was there, the lighting, and the, the zombies were coming, and through that little square piece of glass, I'm like, I, I thought he was a goner for half a second. And then, of course, Liza magically appears in this huge building. She happens to be in the right hallway at the right time with, with the card key, and it just saves the day. Now, one nitpick, continuity thing, whatever you want to look at it as, there's no way that door locks like that, at least my reading of it, because on I believe it's the side Nick and 
Stranderon has the, you know, the push bar to open door. <laughs> Any door I've ever seen that has one of those will, no matter what, open from that side because it's like a safety fire door type thing. Right. It, you know, you can lock it from the other side. So, like, the other side, you won't be able to open without, you know, a key card or a key or whatever. But the it side that has those push bars It malfunctioned. That's all it was. But there's nothing to malfunction. It's a simple machine. There's no electricity involved in pushing the bar to open the door. <laughs> it's it's a maglock, though. <laughs> it's deadlocked? It's a maglock. Deadlock seal? It's a contrived door, but, I mean, it, it works if you don't think about it. you got to suspend right, exactly. your, your, your belief of mechanics for half a minute, it's I guess. It's called a dramatic now, device, now, everyone. A dramatic Jordan device. Jordan has to have realism in his television <laughs> about zombies. It would have just been have... nice if they'd remove the door. like it, Not remove the door, but remove the bar. That would seem like a very simple fix, but whatever. Mm. Uh, so they all run, like I said. Uh, they run into the kitchen of, of the school, which has been turned into a hospital. Walkers corner them in the kitchen. It's not the greatest fight scene, but there's a shot leading up to it where they're walking through before the walkers appear, where you get this nice reflection of Madison um, off of like a something metallic in the room, and then the camera pans over, and not only pans, but it also reorients itself because it wasn't um, flat horizontal before. I, I really like that shot. It was a cool um, establishing shot for the thing, but the, the walkers attack them. There's a couple close calls, but they seem to get out safely, and they barricade the doors behind them um, as they get out of there. I made a note here at this point, do the zombies seem stronger, more aggressive in this show? In the, well, at least in this scene or in this in this episode, even at this point? Well, I don't think that so. Could, that could be because, you know, it's early in the, you know, it's early in everything. So they still, the bone hasn't started to degrade. The skin hasn't started to rot. Not like it is in The Walking Dead where they're in the, the south in the heat and whatnot and it's been years the, the only thing I, I did note like in terms of zombie behavior was that first zombie like really just jumps out and seemed a little forced like it i i understand why they do it but it would work better for me if it just walked around the corner and then lunged at them instead of lunging from around the corner but whatever um after they get out of there and barricade the doors behind them that's when daniel and ophelia learn from liza that griselda died um there's nothing left of her to see ophelia wants to see the body but they, they're able to talk her out of it and then they cut to commercial yeah, I mean, again, they just, for some reason, they just seem like a little bit more strong. They seem like they're they're giving the people more resistance than, than the rotting ones, I guess, from Georgia. So that, that it just struck me, and I had to, had to make a note of that. I'm trying to think of examples from The Walking Dead proper. Like, because most of what we see in terms of strength is just literally the weight of the body, like, lunging forward onto someone and, like, pushing them down. And these seem to be grabbing more. It just, it, I, I know they're trying to make these zombies different. So maybe that's sticking in my head that, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, we're going to make these zombies look different, they're going to act different, and maybe they just they just seem more aggressive, like more like somebody with more intelligence grabbing somebody and growing after them harder. It's one of those things that's it's not the most consistent, but, I mean, you can think of examples like uh, Dale getting his stomach ripped open from just the hands of a walker, in, in season two of The Walking Dead, or people getting grabbed and pulled back by walkers. Uh, I forgot who who got, uh, I guess it was um, Herschel, when he, like the zombie grabs his leg and bites him. Um, it's, it's not the most consistent thing in the world, but it's consistently inconsistent enough not to bother me at this point with the strength level of the walkers. Like, at this point, it's just been all over the place, so if it continues to be all over the place, at least it's consistent in that. If that makes sense? 
but uh, but I didn't note anything out of the ordinary from that scene. Uh, so the crew moves through the hospital. Uh, the patients have all been either shot or had the cattle gun to their heads to put them out of their misery. Um, Madison starts scra- scavenging for drugs. We see the Exner's there. Uh, she tells them how to get out of the building, but warns them there's nowhere to go. You know, you, going out of the city isn't going to save you. Going to the desert isn't going to save you. The world's gone. Eliza asks her to come with them, but Exner is clearly broken and won't leave. And as they leave, uh, she picks up the cattle gun and turns it over in her hand. And the scene cuts away, but the implication is she's preparing to off herself, although we never see it. We don't see her body. So as far as the show is concerned, she's still alive. But I did like the way it ended with, well, time to go down with the ship. Schrodinger's zombie doctor. Uh, so Strand tells them it's safer to go west than east like they planned. He has a home and supplies on the water. He was prepared for disaster, maybe not the specific disaster, but a disaster of this magnitude, and they can come with him. I also noted, I like how they didn't argue for half of the show which way to drive. They just, a couple of lines, they, they followed Strand's advice, they started driving west. They didn't say, oh, we should go to the desert, oh, we should go here. They just did it. That was good. Nice. To jump ahead of ourselves, had they gotten to the parking garage and the kids weren't there... I think then you would have had that argument of, well, our kids are going east. We're supposed to meet them there. But you have this thing west. They probably would have split. But because they found the kids, there's no reason to argue. Sophia! They... <laughs> <laughs> so they make it outside. The sun's up. Uh, we see a pile of still smoldering ash. It's bodies. Um, there's a doll on the pile as well, which is super creepy. And Daniel and Ophelia realize that this is where Griselda, Griselda likely ended up. Uh, Ophelia cries, and he hurt, holds her as the camera pulls back to reveal. This is not the only pile of human ash in this little courtyard. There's multiple ones. Uh, so that's pretty horrible. But at least smart, I guess, on the part of the military. The crew returns to the garage. Uh, the car is gone. The kids are still there hiding, but we don't know at first that they are. Uh, they're fine. You know, uh, Chris is a little beat up, but they're, they're going to be okay. And Daniel says it's time to go. And that's when Andy shoots, shows up and points a gun at Daniel, surprising absolutely no one except Daniel. So Ophelia tries to talk him into dropping the gun. But uh, it doesn't work, and he shoots her, which sets Travis off. He tackles Andy. He starts beating the ever-loving shit out of him, and it's Madison who has to pull him back, and he's horrified by by what he has done. This is his wreck moment. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? This is like the the beginning of the the rectatorship moment. This is the moment where he goes from trying to do the right thing and be be like the path of least resistance guy on to, you know, just, you know, screw this and jumping and just like literally beating the hell out of this guy. Um, it definitely completes his character arc. And it's kind of, like I said, um, very reminiscent to me of Rick Grimes and his kind of, you know, slow degradation as the series has gone on. So he beat him up really good too. I mean, that was, uh, it's intense. Arguably he did more damage to Andy than Daniel did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'd agree with that. But did it seem again, a little too convenient that, this guy who just got a big pass from Travis took the time to find a vehicle, leave the, Come all the, the way town, back. Yeah, drive all the way too. back just for revenge. I don't think it was just for revenge. I mean, that's also where his military people are. That's where he has the place to bug out from. For, also, it's worth so. noting he didn't have to travel anywhere because presumably the parking garage is where Travis let him go. Because it's not till well, um, Daniel got back to the parking garage that he even learned that Andy was gone. But the seat was empty. They showed that his passenger seat was empty when he left the house. Yeah. So he was left at the house. No, no, they showed the middle. I'm pretty sure, because I looked at this, I did note it. They showed the middle seat empty, but when the camera pulled back, you could still see Andy sitting in the the passenger seat Mm. all the way to the edge of the 
to the uh, of the car, the the truck. I didn't catch that. Hmm. I'm pretty yeah, sure I mean, he was still there. I don't know. I'm kind of with Craig on this. If I had known what he had known, as far as like everything falling apart and what they you know they're planning to do or whatever, I don't, I don't think I would have gone anywhere near that place. I would just you know grabbed a car, hot wired it, and gone the opposite direction. You know? I mean, it works to drive the story. It was a very intense scene. It was great. Yeah. It yeah. was good to see. Good to see it, but it was just. It seemed again he had to drive really far just to point a gun at Salazar's head to to get him back for cutting his arm open a little bit. So we come back from commercial. We get some nice overhead shots of L.A. They're heading across empty bridges in, in the two remaining vehicles. Uh, we see Ophelia is still alive and in the bed of the truck with Daniel and Liza. Uh, the drive past walkers on the bridge. We get a nice bonding scene with, between Strand and Madison that I quite liked. Um, and they drive down the L.A. River past a crashed helicopter. Uh, they eventually get to Strand's house, which is a nice place, very nice place, and it looks like Ophelia was just winged. She's still alive, like just shot in the arm, I guess, or a grazing wound, but it's it's surprisingly she's going to be okay, because when she got shot, I assumed, well, that's the end of Ophelia. It's kind of, I don't know, Strand seems a little like Captain Convenience to me. Like, he just happened to be prepping for a doomsday, and he just, you know, he just happened to run into him, he has this giant house with a boat, and all the, you know, it's like, hey... I don't know. It just seemed a little convenient. Well, he says he has supplies. We haven't seen them yet. I mean, he ha- all he has right. so far is the house and the and the boat out there. Well, no, I'm just saying. It just seems like I don't know. It seems like a pretty sweet setup for the zombie apocalypse, you know? Right. I, I'm. I'm. Hey, I'm ready for season two. Pirates of the Walking Dead. <laughs> I did like on our Facebook group somebody posted a graphic of the love boat with the cast of the Walking Dead. <laughs> Love. That's good. I... Exciting. <laughs> Keep going. No, please don't. Yes, you will. Please don't. You. Okay. The Walker boat. I, I don't know, Jim. You, you say convenient, and, and to a an certain extent, it is. But I don't know. Strand just seems just crazy enough to me that, not to say the people who prepare prepare for disasters are necessarily crazy, but because he has so many eccentricities him having to be prepared for a disaster of some type doesn't seem that out of left field to me. Like, is it convenient? Yes. But is it odd? We're out of the realm of possibility? Not so much for me. Definitely, they, they've lucked out in terms of the particular crazy rich person they have found. Right. But, exactly you know. my point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he had this generator that works for two weeks. That's pretty cool. I'd like to see where that one, how that works. <laughs> but, all right. Maybe it shuts, turns on and turns off by itself. Who knows? But it's a long time. I mean, it could just be powering, you know, some a few things. But also, we don't know how long he was at the military facility, do we? Like, he could have only been there for, like, three days. Oh, I see what um, you're saying. They could have just scooped him up. Yeah. And, and um, solar generation is popular out there on the West Coast. Oh, that's it's, a good point. It's very possible that his generators are being replenished each day. Mm. So... Plus, we don't know, ex- like, presumably it's, you know, powering the fridge and the freezer because we see pop- uh, popsicles later on. But if it was just the gate, the gate can't take that much power. Uh, or not the gate, but the, 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 you know, like the security system. No, but the motor has to run regardless how much power is being drawn. It has to keep That's going true. and burning fuel. So it's it's a pretty good one if it runs for two weeks. Well, I, I thought it was two weeks, but like you said, it could have been only a few days now. And to be fair, if anyone could afford it, seems like Strand could be the one to afford the generator that could do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
So on the balcony, Madison apologizes to Nick for letting them take him in the first place, but he, he, he's fine. He says he's finally found himself now that the world has gone as, uh, as bad as him, now that the world is in the same dis- state of disrepair as he has been for years, and it's super heavy-handed, but I guess it works. I liked it. I liked that yeah. scene. I thought it was good dialogue. I don't dislike the sentiment. I think that makes perfect sense. It felt like he was spelling out something that was super obvious and should have been left to subtext uh, to me. But I-, I liked hearing the words. I liked hearing him say that. It's like I was thinking it, but you know, for him to say now everyone's like me or this is how I've lived and now the world's catching up or something to that effect. I didn't. I didn't quote it exactly. I liked it. I thought it was a great scene. And he's a good actor too. He really delivers it well. And he's opening up to his mom. You know, I. I thought it was good. After commercial, uh, Liza clues Daniel in on how to p- properly you know, handle Ophelia's wound. She's going to be fine. Just keep it clean. You know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, she goes over to Chris, tells him she loves him. And Madison and myself note something is obviously wrong. And she follows Liza outside. And at least in my notes, I say, I'm pretty sure she's been bitten. I called it. I called her last <laughs> yeah. week. I said she's a goner. Yep. It would be, it would be, I don't know. It would seem kind of odd to, for them to have gotten through that much. And one of, not one of them had gotten bit. Right. Now, are we assuming that she was bitten in the kitchen? That's my best bet for when it would have happened. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, And it was either a bite or a scratch. It was a little hard to tell, but the skin was broken by a walker at least. Right. But they could have just waited and see if she started showing symptoms, right? I mean, it it seemed very quick. Yeah, we went through that with Jim in season one or whatever. But they they let him ride the infection out a little bit. Yeah. And then the same thing with Bob in the last season. I mean, with the leg and, you know, tainted meat and all that. I mean, probably doesn't want her put her family through that. She probably doesn't want right. her son to see her, like, slowly degenerate into a brain-craving monster. And I mean, she says it's much. She, yeah. Yeah, and she's seen a lot in the last day or so. She knows exactly what's going to happen to her because she's seen it at the right. hospital. She saw a lot at the hospital. Yeah, that is that is true. So Nick and Strand catch up. Uh, Strand is packing a bag. He tells Nick that he's leaving. Um, He's got to stay in constant motion. That's his whole thing. Uh, Nick asks if they can stay here, but he says no. No one stays. And uh, Nick asks about Abigail. Uh, Where where is she? Who is she? And Strand says uh, she's not here. He asks Strand if Strand is insane. And Strand says he's embraced the madness, to which Nick replies, is that a yes, which I liked quite a bit, and then through binoculars on the back balcony, he shows uh, Abigail to Nick, and Abigail is his awesome, if incredibly poorly CGI'd yacht in uh, <laughs> off the coast of L.A., but it's a mega yacht. Yeah. Mega yacht. Didn't the cufflinks, weren't they given to him by A, quote-unquote A? So, is Abigail a person that's on the boat? Is Abigail the boat? I didn't quite get that. Or is Abigail the boat named after a person named Abigail who gave him cufflinks? When, when yes. did we get that they were given to him by somebody called A? I don't remember that. It was in the inscription when he handed it over to the soldier. He read the inscription, oh, with love from A or something like that on the oh, last I didn't episode. That. Yeah. Oh. So that's what made me think, okay, A is Abigail. And I guess we'll find out who she is and probably in the future. So Madison follows Liza out to the beach. Uh, we see that she's definitely been bitten or scratched. Um, she pulls out a pistol. And Madison tries to talk her out of it, but Liza doesn't think she can do it in the first place. She asks Madison to do it. Fair is fair. And she quotes Madison back at her saying, don't make Travis do it. It will break him. And then Travis shows up. Which brought for full circle the whole, it's the slap in the face. She's, she caught on to that line. No, I, I still got to disagree with you because I went back and rewatched it just, you know, after she said it. Because I was like, oh, that's just what Rich was saying. And the way she says it was not 
spiteful. It was, look, you already agree this was the best plan. You need to do it, even though it's terrible. I, I didn't get any malice from, from Liza there in that scene. It was the look in her eyes, and I guess it's because I've watched her playing her character on Orange is the New Black. She had that look in her eyes of, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, just... I saw pleading in her eyes. Yeah. I did not see any malice. Yeah, it uh, seemed more like desperation. No, I didn't, I, I'm not saying malice, I'm just saying she knew to throw that back at her. Hmm. Oh, I, I agree, it was throwing it back at her, but not out of malice, <laughs> out of, screw right. you, out of, look, we've already agreed this is the smart thing that right. we need to do. Well, and I never thought that Madison said it originally out of malice. I just think that she was not thinking and the writers were not thinking. But now I understand where they came from. They closed the loop here with her repeating it back. I don't know. That's just my take on it. So Travis wants to know what's going on. He sees the gun and Madison catches him up to speed. Um, we're, we're, they're given pretty much all the information, just, you know, getting them up to speed on everything they should know aside from shoot them in the head. I think that's the one thing that probably hasn't been said um, in this season, but you know, there's no way to treat the bite. The bite just kills you. You come back as a walker, but you come back as a walker no matter how you die. It's going to happen no matter what. Um, it doesn't matter how you die. And uh, she tells him, don't let this happen to me. Don't let our son see that. They cry. Travis asks for the gun and Madison gives it to him. Cut to Alicia and Chris who are talking and eating popsicles on the balcony. Um, they hear a gunshot Everyone hears it. The kids come running. Uh, music plays, and we see Travis shell-shocked stumbling to the edge of the water. Uh, we see Chris crying over the body of Liza. Uh, Madison joins Travis on the beach and holds him. The water comes in, and we get a nice helicopter shot um, of the cliffs and them at the bottom, L.A. in the background, and the camera pans left over the ocean and heads out to sea as music plays them out. And uh, surprisingly, it doesn't end on a shot of Abigail, but I, I did really like the, you know, just that pan shot um, and head out over the water to end the season. That heading out over the water, was there something we were supposed to see? No, I think it was artistic. I, okay. I liked it. it. It worked very well. It just put a little period on the show, or maybe a colon or something. The only artistic reading I could give you for that, Rich, would be, and I, I honestly think this is reading too much into it, but as they pan out over the water, and you, you've already got the water coming over Cliff Curtis, uh, Travis as like a baptism type thing, you know, washing him away, that, that kind of image. But as you head out over the water, there's a lot of seaweed, clumps of seaweed and stuff. And right before it cuts to black is when they finally get to clear water that has no detritus in it. You could read something into that of, you know, being washed clean and of getting past the murkiness to this clear area. But again, that's also just how oceans work you have a lot of that seaweed right at the shore and then you get the clear water so it could be me reading into it i think it probably is but if you wanted to look for some deeper meaning in that shot that's all i could give you no we sure that the boat is named abigail like maybe it's not his wife or something that he's has become zombified that he's kept on the boat oh that's yeah oh now hey that's a good one I mean, because I mean, remember herschel you know keeping his family in the barn because he thought there might be a cure and the governor um, keeping his daughter in the in the room and exactly yeah, but I don't I don't think that he has that mentality because I think he's very hip to what's going on and but if, if you, but that, if you saw it firsthand if if it was his wife say who got bitten early on and became zombified and he kept her on that boat and that's what hipped him to what was going on yeah true I mean, that would be true. a good place to keep her where she wouldn't be able to wander around and I would note that in terms of setup. If they were going to do something like that, I would hope they would at least show somewhere in his estate 
a picture of him with a woman uh, or of someone else, even if it wasn't clearly in focus so they could pick an actress later or whatever. I would hope that if they were planning to do something like that, there would be some portrait or painting or something, some evidence of that other person in his apartment, or not, I keep saying apartment, but in his house so we could point to that later and be like, oh, look, they set it up. Um, that would be something super simple to do that, you know, even with the governor, they were with Herschel. They did that. There was family photos on the fridge. There was the family photo of the, the governor, his wife and his daughter in the governor's you know house, that kind of stuff. It would seem silly if they wouldn't do that here. Just throwing the theory out. <laughs> no, I think I think it's an interesting idea. Um, and I, it wouldn't it wouldn't really bother me if they did that. I just feel like it would be way smarter for them to set that up in some way. But yeah, if you're going to sit through the zombie apocalypse, do it at an eccentric millionaire's house. <laughs> or eccentric millionaire's yacht. Yes. I'm Definitely on a safe. boat. I mean, they they talked about that in the original show a few times. Go to the water, go to an island, get to a boat. They never really did it. I mean, it definitely seems logical and very safe. Well, I guess we'll see. They also talk about it in season one of The Walking Dead Telltale Game. Mm. The whole thing is get to, uh, get to, I think it's North Carolina? Where are they heading to... There, there's there's a port they're trying to get to. Charleston, to isn't I, it? Was it Charleston? That sounds right. Or Asheville or something? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played that game since it came out. So It's an excellent game. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Everyone should check it out. Good. But um, So th- it's it's a popular idea, even the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, spoilers for that ends with them uh, trying... Or, I shouldn't say ends with them, but it's the, a lot of it is them trying to get to a boat. Um, and whether that works out for them <laughs> when they get to that boat is another issue, but... Um, I do like they talk about on Talking Dead. Zombie (laughs) whales. They they talked about on Talking Dead the idea of, you know, even if they get to the boat, you know, that boat's going to be a target by anyone out on the water because you can assume they're not going to be the only people who have that same plan. And you got to worry about piracy and all that kind of stuff. I forget. It might have been Craig or Rich, but brought up piracy before. That would be a really interesting idea. Um, hopefully we can turn it into a Gilbert and Sullivan musical because that would be hilarious. But uh... What do you do with a zombie sailor? <laughs> HMS Abigail. So before we get into our ratings for the episode and our listeners' ratings for the uh, season finale, Rich, why don't you tell us about our wonderful sponsor? Well, our wonderful sponsor, as always, is DCBService.com. It's discount comic book service. Come on now. We all know comic prices are just going to keep going up and up and up, and we're spending a lot of money on them because they're entertaining and we love them. But why spend a lot of money when you can go to discount comic book service, DCBService.com, where you can get as much as 40, 50, 60% off of different titles. Uh, Their bundles are great. Right now, the Marvel bundle, if you get the Marvel uh, relaunch bundle, it's 50% off, which is ultimately going to be a savings of like $140. Uh, One of the things that's out there right now, uh, I'm a big fan of the old Silver Age World's Finest comics. Uh, The Superman Batman World's Finest Volume 1 hardback is coming out, and you can get it 50% off, normally $75, $37.50. I'm ordering mine tonight. Uh, DCB service, and then of course their sister site, uh, In Stock Trades, which is a fantastic service as well. You can get up to 70% off of different uh, uh, graphic novels that you want to find, the Walking Dead ones. Um, and as always, it's not just comics and discount comic book service, it's it's collectible statues, action figures, t-shirts, um, models, all kinds of fun and interesting things that you're going to spend money on anyway. Why not get it at a discount? 
dcbservice.com. They have everything that appears in the Previews World catalog, which is a whole ton of not only, like you said, comics, but action figures and toys and everything. It's something I've been, I've been grabbing lately. I grabbed uh, not only the McFarlane put together diorama series, but now they have blind bags of these uh, uh, Walking Dead minifigures. They come with like a, a, a cast member and a zombie uh, in each bag, and you're not sure who it is until you open it up. Those are a lot of fun, and it's a good way to collect Walking Dead and stuff. That you, know, you can get those at DCB Service. Uh, if you I'm want. curious, um, TV versions of the characters or comic versions of the characters or both? TV versions. They're like cool. little. Okay. They're like little. They don't have articulation or anything. They're like little figurines. So more like a Funko Pop or a Mini Mates or something like right. that. Right. They're little. Yeah. They're they're kind of like uh, my my daughter gets my little pony blind bags in the same way. You know they're. They're, they're small enough, they fit well on a desk. You know, if you were to pick up like five or six, you would have a good group of survivors and zombies to put on your desk. So Nice. I recommend that. Yep. That's uh, always <laughs> a smart thing, because you know, it, I always thought about this as like a kid. You know, if you like, if I was into Star Wars action figures as a kid, um, you know, you never really want a Stormtrooper. You don't, if you, got, if you only got five or six bucks to spend on an action figure, you don't want the Stormtrooper. You want Luke or, or Han or Leia or Darth Vader or something. But then you end up with all the heroes and nothing for them to fight. Yeah. And you never want to actually spend the money on not just one Stormtrooper, but ten of them. So to have the double pack where you get one hero and a, and a grunt at the same time, that is a smart choice. I wish they had that when I was a kid. Well, I also see here there's a, uh, a $300 Rick Grimes action figure. A one-quarter scale, sta- I'm sorry, one-quarter scale statue from Gen- Gentle Giant. Um, everything is handcrafted. The, the, his Python guns are actually metal. His jacket is actually leather. Um, DCB service has it at 20% off. It's still 320 bucks, but if you want the ultimate Rick Grimes, that is it right there. And you get a great discount on it too. If you order a DCB service. And if you're wondering what to get your favorite chub toad for Christmas, Jim just described it. (laughs) Yeah, you get almost $100 off on that with the DCB service uh, discount. So Very cool. So, yeah, we thank them for sponsoring us. That's Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com and their sister site, InStockTrades.com. Very cool. Check them out. So, let's talk about what we thought of this episode in terms of our ratings. One to five. One is bad. Five is awesome. Uh, Jim, what did you think of The Good Man? I give this a four. I mean, we actually saw some character development this episode. We had some really cool... Uh, OMG moments I really enjoyed. Uh, Daniel is becoming my favorite character, and they gave him a lot of good screen time here, so I'm glad. We're seeing like the moral dilemmas that we like to see in the kind of show that the zombie apocalypse kind of affords. Um, we're, again, I'm, I'm happy to see character progression, kind of seeing the characters finally start to... I don't want to say flesh themselves out, but kind of, you know, more of their voice is coming out now that they've had to react to crisis. Um, there was a lot of great action in this, a lot of really great Walker scenes. Um, it was just, it's the best episode of the six so far. So I give it a four out of five. Aaron sent in his thoughts for the Fear of the Walking Dead finale. He couldn't make it tonight due to scheduling reasons, but he said the finale was easily the best episode of this miniseason, even if there were still some lingering questions and small issues. The pros were clear as we got to see Travis step up, Chris got smacked around to the delight of many, and Liza's death was certainly a strong moment overall. 
Weaker stuff included the logic of Daniel walking up a massive group of walkers to the base camp, that kitchen fight scene, which was edited horribly, some basic logic issues, really? Shootophilia? And Nick's lame speech at the end of the episode. Last thoughts go to Strand, who is both incredibly interesting and ridiculous. I like the performance, but now I wonder why he was locked up to begin with, and why he's bothering to help. Strong finale overall, and let's get back to the regular show now. Four faulty keycard swipes until just the right moment out of five. It's definitely the best out of the the six episodes in the season. The pacing of the show was just right in this episode, really, but the last two episodes, this one and last week. But, I mean, it just seemed like everything fell into place very well. few minor things here and there, but all in all, this is becoming more the show what I was hoping it to become. Um, I like the idea of Strand. I like what I have heard about there's going to be some interesting dynamics with him and Daniel in the same group. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, There's just, there's, there's so many things that they set us up for to make this an excellent, excellent season two that uh, this episode was probably the best and most important out of the entire season. And I give it 4.3. Out of five. Only because I gave last week 4.25 and this one was slightly better. Well, I will round it up. I will do a 4.5 as opposed to a 4.3. This definitely was the best episode of the six. I was thinking, I wish it really was episode three instead of episode six. They could have, as we said earlier, squeezed a lot of the five episodes into the first three. And this would have been a great episode three or four. But either way, I'll take it. This is what I wanted the show to be from day one. I imagined it differently, looking back across the six. I thought we would see more of Los Angeles tearing itself to shreds. They're in Vancouver, so I guess it's hard to do that. I didn't know they were going to shoot the whole show up there. But either way, I'll take this. If you can give me more of this kind of action, suspense, great direction, good pacing. I've got that Tangerine Dream vibe going in a full effect from Paul Hasslinger. The music was really good. This episode, I I listened to that kind of stuff, and that was very good this episode. Again, finally some action. So I will give this a solid 4.5. Well-deserved. That's my highest score for these six, and and definitely keep it going. Looking forward to, to Season 2. I will also give the episode a 4.5, very solid. There was some things, you know, I mentioned them during the episode that I thought were a little bit clunky. You know, that, that one fight scene, some of the some of the dialogue, which was just, it was on the nose even for The Walking Dead and AMC in general. Um, but you know, the action was really good. The character dynamics were really good. I like where the episode went. I like how it paid off the plot lines of the season, and I like what it set up for next season. So um, I, I think this is the best episode they've done so far by, uh, by a mile, and I want to see more of this kind of thing next season. I don't need this much action every time, but just, you know, th- this type of writing, this type of direction, and the type of shots they were using in particular, um, just uh, really, really solid. So more of this, Fear the Walking Dead. But who cares what we think, Jim? What did our listeners on the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group think about the finale of Fear the Walking Dead? Well, as my compatriot Dr. Esquire just uh, alluded to, we have a Facebook group on the Facebooks. It's a good place to have a Facebook group if you're going to have one. Uh, called the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. 
We are, oh, 652 members strong with nine new members this week. So it's a good place for uh, discussion and for news and for fun stuff. And it's a good, you know, there, there aren't a lot of uh, trolls in our group at all. And uh, every week we ask our members of the group to give us their ratings um, because it's Fear of the Walking Dead. We asked for uh, Toby's uh, for our friend Tobias, who's going to be in the web series, I guess. Uh, that's going to be coming up. Uh, probably our favorite character from the, the Fear of the Walking Dead miniseries. Or... Wait, I'm sorry, is, is he in the web series? Is that no? There, oh, there's he's just not? another kind of frumpy looking white kid. It looked like oh, him. I don't think that was I'm him sorry. though. I made a terrible mistake no. then. No, it's cool I though. I wish it would be Toby. We we <laughs> all miss Toby. It looked like him. I'm the sorry. haircut. I, it was the haircut. Wishful man. thinking. Yeah. I guess all white kids look the same to me now. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, we named them Tobys, uh, much as we named the uh, the. Ratings for the original shows, Busters, after one of our favorite characters, Andor Zombies. And this week is no exception. We asked all of our Facebook group members to let us know what they thought of The Good Man. First of all, Jordan, we have a shout out to you to make sure you got plenty of rest this week. From Seth Tillman. Yes. Sorry about the delays, everyone, last week. It was uh, a lot of things going on at once, but also on for, from everybody's part, but also from my part, just not having nearly enough sleep, and then the, the audio files were all over the place. So sorry about the delay, um, but these things happen, and hopefully they don't happen very often. You can dock our pay. I, I don't <laughs> like the episodes being late any more than you listeners do, believe me. Uh, Seth rejoined with, uh, good, don't want to hear any of that sleepy mess this week. I've been so bored, I've been re-listening to back eight season four recaps. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for going through the back catalog, man. We, we do put a lot of work into the show. Especially Jordan. Uh, Nate Locuta Zachary gave 4.5. I am Travis's newly formed gigantic huevos out of five. Wait, we're accepting ratings from the Borg now? He didn't say he was of Borg. He just said he was Locutus. So. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. If he, he was, will be if he was Locutus of Borg, he would have, I mean, that would have been in there, right? <laughs> uh, Seth Tilly came back with a 4.75. Nick's cheery, not-so-goodbyes to his mom out of five. Wonderful episode. Uh, Brent Jones, 4.5. It broke him out of five. Uh, the intro scene was awesome. Enjoyed much of the episode. Love the contrast to the apocalypse and paradise. Uh, hated that they were able to cross L.A. with great ease. Uh, what Madison and Travis saw when they ventured out of the fences seemed far more ominous than their drive across one of the three largest cities in America. Uh, seems like that would have been a little more treacherous. Other than that, I really enjoyed it. Look forward to season two. Also, I can't wait to find out Travis's backstory. He's more than a simple English teacher. Uh, to what, which Seth replied, yes, the dude's got hands. Referring to his uh, uh, punching prowess, I would assume. Uh, Cheryl Morris Goodman, 4.75 unfinished popsicle sticks out of 5. Uh, tense and interesting, excited for where they will take Travis. I'm sad for how they used Adams as simply a vehicle for Travis's development, but I'm still happy with the way the episode went. Uh, Everard Santa Marina, I give it a five. Tobias is out of five. Wow. Uh, yeah, there were a couple of gaming holes, like really how to sell as I lead the whole herd to the camp, and how did Alicia and Chris dispatch deal with the rogue soldiers. But overall, this is what we like in the series: desperation, action, reaction, suspense, and nihilism. I'm not sure how I feel about next season on a boat, uh, unless T Pain is there, of course. Especially a yacht that gets like two miles to the gallon. But I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Now to watch the Airplane web series. Uh, Mike Jones, for uh, 2.75 XY finishers out of 5. Uh, this show has never grabbed me like the original 6 episodes. I feel like this is a cost-effective cash-in. I can safely say that I won't be heartbroken to wait for next season. 
Uh, Elisa Gonzalez, I gave it five diamond cufflinks. This was super intense and had me on the edge of my seat most of the time. One of the best kills in all of the Walking Dead shows was the panicked soldier running into the helicopter tail rotor. And we finally <laughs> got to see Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I have to agree, though. I, I, what? I'm, I'm looking at the next oh, one. Okay. I'm sorry, it's making uh, me laugh. Pierce CH. <laughs> Is that Jordan? Uh, Chris Pierce uh, gives it a generous four out of five terrible CG boats. And there's a picture of Jordan in the sky blowing it. it making... Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure what the message was supposed to be there. You are Poseidon, um, king of the ocean. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think he was. I think it's saying you're just full of hot air. That's possible. I I don't know exactly what it means. I'm not taking it negatively, but it was funny. Good job. I just saw it. I love it. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't meant negatively. Uh, has around max 3.5 right. needs some more seasoning out of five a solid episode nothing mind-blowing when the soldiers were shooting at the fence they didn't even show some zombies getting damaged and that plan to use the horde seemed like a bad idea but i rolled with it i see the improvement but i feel they're still half-assing uh belinda ache three uselessly packed giant suitcases out of five i know i'm stingy with my ratings although this was more satisfying i don't know if i'm going to come around to this show uh, I understand the uh, Walking Dead group heading for the CDC in the original show, but where are these guys headed? Griffith Park Observatory, UCLA, Bill Murray's house? Why can't they stay in the fully stocked mansion again? <laughs> Good question. Uh, Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington. I love this episode. It may be controversial with the statement, but I'd say this season finale was stronger than season one of the parent show. Oh. Uh, that's. I, I agree with that, actually. After a slow start, which I like, we were spoiled with this episode. Yep, loads of walkers. Also like the nod to Rick riding into Atlanta as they're driving down the river toward Mr. Strand's beachside house. Well done, AMC. Therefore, my rating is five stadium doors bursting open out of five. Uh, Luke Smith. Despite my issues with the rest of the season, the finale of Fear the Walking Dead was really entertaining. 4.5. Uh, Tarek Awar. I gave the episode 4.5 helicopter blades in the face out of five. After watching the marathon, the finale, I really like the season more. I really feel for Travis having his moral code finally snap, and then having his spent his spirit completely broken by shooting Liza. Um, I just hope it doesn't become Walker Waterworld. <laughs> Still a great episode. Uh, Paul McEachern, uh, 4.5 Tobys. The finale delivered nonstop action, creative camera work uh, for a show, and worthwhile character development uh, for a show that had no chance, in my opinion, after the first two episodes. This episode really turned the ship around, pun intended. And from Scott, I give this episode a 4.25 Tobies. I really like this episode, but also think the show can be a lot better in the second season. Uh, while previously Madison was called the Rick of the show, I think she is more the Shane than Travis is the Rick. It's easy to throw humanity aside and kill people just because it's easy. Uh, one thing I didn't like about the episode was the plan to unleash thousands of undead, which completely destroyed the safe zone and killed many soldiers as well. As all the innocent patients waiting for transport just so they could get to rescue their two people, one of whom was uh, went there voluntarily. And that's from Scott. And finally, David B. the third, a solid 4.5, a few good men out of 5, minus 0.5 for the bumbling teenager who claims he cannot drive yet, <laughs> or he's too young when he looks 18 to 20, with an almost stepsister. 18 to 20? With a, I'm reading what? 8. I was, yeah. With an almost stepsister teen who looks 24. 
and another point five for casting that guy for a pacifist high school teacher, uh, English teacher. So what? Five and point five make one, but I rate a four point five. And if you would like to let us know what you think about pretty much anything about The Walking Dead, uh, the Fear of the Walking Dead, the web series is coming up, the new shows which premiere this Sunday. As we record this, pretty excited. Uh, then, by all means, join the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group on the Facebooks. It's on your local interweb provider. Check it out. Thank you very much, Jim. Yeah, and, and actually, on the Facebook, real quick, Belinda Ake, 12 hours ago, says the show could be, should be renamed, the, was it The Love Boat? What, what did she say here? It says, next year they're changing the name of the show to The Love Boat of the Apocalypse. And then, seven hours ago, William Robles put on this great picture of the love boat with the cast of the Fear of the Walking Dead, very funny. Uh, we have some really <laughs> great people on this Facebook page, uh, so if you're not a member, please join. It's it's a lot of fun, and thank you for putting that up. So that's pretty much it for this episode. Of course, after the ending here, we're going to talk about next week's season premiere of The Walking Dead proper. So if you don't mind some slight spoilers, very mild stuff for that, stick around. But if not, don't forget you can contact us at WDTV at HHWLOD.com or follow us on Twitter at HHWLOD underscore network. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. Jim is at Yoda Jones. Rich is at ChubToad01. And Craig is at Auto Chat Show. And of course, you can follow Jim and and uh, Rich on the DCTV podcast at hhwled.com, and you can follow Craig at the Auto Chat podcast or Auto Chat Show, I guess technically. Yep. Uh, where where can they find that? Oh, Craig? I'm an iTunes. Aside from just iTunes. Uh, do a search for Auto Chat Show on the web. Auto Chat Show. We are all over the place. You can get us any way you like, and uh, a lot of a lot of fun. Even if you're not a car junkie, it is a fun podcast, and we talk about. Cars and anything else that may be on our brain, but it's a it's a good one. Check it out. And so until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, embrace the madness. Have a good week, everybody. I am embracing the madness. <laughs> I'm embracing and- a beer. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next week on The Walking Dead, of course, if you don't want to know anything, cut out now. We won't be offended. But if you don't mind knowing just a tiny bit about it, here you go. The Walking Dead Season 6, Episode 1 is entitled First Time Again. And the brief synopsis we have from TVGuide.com is, in the season six premiere, Rick and the group continue to have trouble assimilating into Alexandria, hey, board connection there, and a new threat could bring them closer together or drive them further apart. Carol burned her casserole. (laughs) Spoiler alert. No one's going to bed happy tonight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I would talk about these scenes from that episode that we saw at the end of this week's Fear the Walking Dead, but my DVR cut them off, so I didn't see them. But we've seen all the trailers, I think, at this point, and the commercials. You know, we have a pretty good idea of what's coming down the pike. We've talked about it in the past, so there's nothing to really talk about there. But I'm excited. I'm very excited for the return of the Walking Dead. Rick has a question. Rick has a question for you. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? <laughs> They've Rick been Bryce. playing that constant. I mean, every commercial is almost that scene. They just keep playing it. So I hope it's next week. The delivery week. of that line and the way it's shot is so great. Oh. I, I just love. Do you have yeah. any idea who you're talking? Just his eyes do the kind of Rami Malik craziness thing right there for a second. Like, oh, it's it, it's great. He does that little head bounce too. When he get when he when he's off when he's off his rocker is about to do some damage. His head kind of tilts down a little bit. Love it. And his gun hand follows the tilt. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's it's such a great shot. <laughs> it's all for Coral. Coral. The deal is done. Dibido.
So uh, we'll be back next week, and uh, we, we hope you will join us to talk the season pre- premiere of The Walking Dead. But until then... I will join you. <laughs> until then, have a good week, everybody. Take care. So how about Madison maybe being related to Rick? I like that idea. I really doubt they do that, though. (laughs) I doubt they're going to do it, too, but I would like that idea. And I still would have liked your idea, Jordan, of connecting Griselda... uh, uh, What was the last name of that damn dog? Salazar? Griselda Gunderson was the dog. Griselda Gunderson, yeah. yeah. yeah, Which, did you notice the the doll on the pile of ash? I did notice the doll on the pile of ash. Because it was like, I mean, A, it was horrifying, but B, it was like, Griselda Gunderson. <laughs> I guess Kirkman likes the name Griselda. I mean, it's got to be it, but it's still kind of funny. Who who do you think going forward people will have more fun doing the voice of? Rick doing his Carl and stuff, or Carl. Victor Strand saying anything? Yeah, he's good. <laughs> uh, he's great, actually. I love, we'll get into it, but I love his yeah. scene with Madison where he's like, I think we're going to get along just fine. You're funny. <laughs> I was, okay, okay, Nick's mom. Or yes, like that, yes, right? yes. <laughs> Craig, uh, Jim just came online. If you want to add him, I will do that. Well, who cares? It's just Jim. <laughs> just cut him loose. Hey, Jim. Oh, hey, hey Jim. 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 God, it was so boring without you. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> do either of you like the band The Sword? The Sword. Never heard of them. I I may have heard their music, but I don't recognize the name. They just put out a new album, which is pretty good, but uh, this is more, more comment for Jim, so I'll hold it. But there's another band I heard that sounds a lot like them, because I know he likes The Sword. I was going to recommend. The Sword is kind of a... Uh, they're kind of a 70s, 80s rock metal throwback band. Nice. Um, very Zeppelin-y, very... I'm ve- sold. Very hook-oriented, that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're quite good. But I know Jim loves them, so I, I, since their new album came out and I found this other band, I was like, oh, I should tell him, because he would probably like it, too. I like They're the song they use. The Sword? The Sword. Yeah, look up um, The Sword, Tres Brujas, which is three witches in Spanish. It's, a, it's an English-speaking band, but the, for whatever reason, that song is, has a Spanish title. Um, that's probably the song I first heard from them, and it's pretty awesome. Also, their music videos are generally pretty hilarious, because they're shot like 70s sci-fi nerdy <laughs> videos and stuff i'm looking at the official video now three witches you shall meet along the road to your fate <laughs> and the third is the coming of day okay i'm digging this I, Jim, I, A, I don't know if you've heard their new album, which just came out like two weeks ago, but it's pretty good. It's more of a hard rock than a metal in, than they've done in the past. But I found this other band that I thought, since I know you like the swords you'll like, it's called um, Gentleman's Pistols. And they are a British band that's basically the sword, but with like a southern flair. And it's quite, quite good. I think that's the guy who played Otis in The Walking Dead in this video. Uh, it's possible. Trace Brujas. Trace Brujas, yeah. I, I, I will further check them out because I like the 40 seconds I listen to. Yeah. <laughs> very, very hook-oriented, uh, which is what really gets me into it. It's not particularly like complex songs, generally speaking, but really catchy ones. 
All right, three, two, one, record. Yep. All right, just call and response so I can line this up easier. Uh, when I say Perry, you say... Winkle. <laughs> Perry Winkle. Joe. Okay. White. Uh, Perry Mason. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to go with White, ghost. actually. <laughs> Great Caesar's ghost. Is there anything else that I'm forgetting? That's it. Nope. Let's get her done. Oh, don't ever say that around me ever again. That's your one get her done. That's all you get. <laughs> Everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. After that, no. All right, get him done. Get it done. Did you find what you're looking for, Chuck? Uh, I keep, keep saying Chuck, sorry. Uh, Chuck. Chub Toad? Hey, yes. Brett. Yes. <laughs> well, it's because I start to say Chub Toad, and then I switch to Richard halfway through, and it comes out as Chuck. Chuck. I don't know why. Chuck. Chuch. Call him Chuchy. Chuchy. Hey, Chuchy. Joni and Chuchy. There you go. Don't talk nonsense to Bob Blah Blah. Hey, Chuchy, go get Joey a bag of donuts. We got some work to do. Are we waiting on something? Yeah, I thought we were waiting on you. Yeah. Oh. Can you hear us? I, I was waiting for Jordan to throw to you. I, I'm going to throw it to you, but I asked you, are you ready for me to throw it to you, and you didn't respond. Yeah, I did. I said yes. Oh, I, I didn't hear it. Must have been the same time somebody else said something. No, um, maybe I muted myself. You may have done it. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sure. No now you I'm mute. Like, you won't I'm mute like... on DCTV while you're like munching uh, whoppers, but you'll mute now. <laughs> Jim, all I'm going to say is those who live in glass houses when it comes to munching on food on the recordings. Um... Oh, come on, man. I mute a lot more than he did on DC, man. <laughs> um. I waited, hey, as soon as we started recording, I was quiet. Mm.